we are in uh, the, uh, the Chris, we're in the Christmas season, and we're in this Advent season, and um, and what are the, the elders of this church are ferociously zealous for your joy, and uh, which is a little bit different than happiness, but we're we're really wanting this joy, this deep seated confidence, and that that God is good and a, a joy that is sustaining, which is going to require you to, to kind of slow down a bit and to really spend some time reflecting. We, we've created this, this Advent thing for community groups as well as for families or friends, or you can do it as, on your own, to, to really uh, help us to pause and to, and to reflect. I think it's hugely important for your soul. And we understand the competition out there. The competition, I mean, it, the messages, the sensory overload in this time of year is just is phenomenal. I mean, just all the commercials and, you know, we've already spent billions of dollars on presents and we've been listening to Christmas music since the 4th of July. And so there's just this, 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 this sensory overload is huge. So, so but I think we're going to have to, uh, I want to encourage us to really slow things down, uh, to really take the time to reflect, uh, to go through some of these practices of, of meditating and listening. And look, I know that's hard. Um, I know it's difficult. And uh, well, I'll say it this way. Like I'm 39, so I'm not, that means I'm not young, but I'm not old either. And I remember some things, um, like when I was a kid, like when you went to go if you wanted to watch a movie, if you wanted to go to theater, you had to get a newspaper to find out what time the movie started, right? You, or you could borrow from your neighbors. And so, but if you didn't have a newspaper, didn't have access to a newspaper, you had to call the theater to find out what time the movie started. Now, here's the caveat to that. If somebody else in your town had the same idea, and they called the theater just before you called, you got, you got a busy signal. I mean, there what, there, like, it just, just it kept ringing or it made a noise. It didn't click over. You didn't even get, we, we, you didn't even get, like, some kind of voice message system where you could, you, you just sat there. And, and so what you had to do, you had to hang up and you had to dial again. You had to do it about 30 or 40 times before you can get. Now, if your parents were, like, into technology, maybe you had the redial button, which helped a little bit make that process faster, but uh, you, you had to sit there and wait and call back and call back to, to, in order to find out just what time the movie started. And a lot of times, uh, I mean, man, you would just go, to, hey, I think the movie's probably at 7, so why don't we go at 6.30 and just kind of wait and see, what, oh, it's at 7.15, and so you waited 45 minutes before the movie started. Or when I was in, in high school, uh, there, there was no, like, I mean, you, you had to be really sure before Friday at 3 o'clock hit, you had to be really sure what your plans were for the weekend. Because how are you going to contact people after you left school? I mean, how is that going to happen? Like, there was like low-grade fear that would come over me by Thursday if I didn't know what my plans were for the weekend. Because once, once, it was, once the bell rang, it's just like, well, what, you know, there wasn't a given that, you know, your parents let you use a phone. You know, if you called someone, same deal, they may not answer and, and all, this kinds of st all this kind of stuff. And so, well, I mean, we would get in our car. We'd just drive around and, and see, you know, well, maybe they're over here and maybe over there. And, you know, and, and um, you know, we, I remember getting on, call, getting on pay phones and, like, really think, like, do I really want to spend this 25 cents? To, you know, I mean, it was, and now... Um, 
man, there's nothing in the world that you, that we can't know right now. It, it's, it's a few seconds, you Google it. And so back then, if you wanted to know the name of a song, right? Like if you, like who sings this song? You literally had to wait until you remembered. I mean, that's how you found out. <laughs> like you just wasn't, what are we going to do? I don't know. We'll just stand here and think of, and you know how they, I mean, that's just, now it's like if you, someone sends you a link to a video and it takes more than five seconds, you're like, what in the world? I mean, it's just 1992. I mean, what kind of Wi-Fi do we have in here anyway? So there's this, there's this, I'll forget it, you know, it's just like I'll move on. There's this impatientness built into our, the framework of who we are. And actually scientists will tell you it's even changing how we think. They're changing our, our brain. Uh, because of just a lack of impatience, but I'm telling you, to find joy, to find hope, to find peace, uh, to find really what um, I think life is all about, I just want to encourage us, encourage us to, to detach a little bit, get unplugged, and to really take this Advent seriously, and to really uh, hear what God has to say, and you're going to have to fight through that a little bit, you're going to have to go through some detox, um, and, and that really has a lot to do with what I want to say today, because today I want to talk about Hope. I want to talk about hope from Isaiah 59. If you turn to Isaiah 59, and uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you are hardwired for hope. Every decision you make, every choice that you make, uh, every response that you have a situation is fueled and motivated by hope. Your, the story of your life is a story of hope. Uh, your happiest moments are hope moments. Your saddest moments is when hope is destroyed or hope is evaporated. Um, and uh, you're always looking for hope. Your, your heart is looking to attach itself to hope. So hope always has an object, and hope is always motivated uh, by something. And so you put your hope into something, and then you ask that something to deliver something to you. You're always looking to hope. You're always looking for something. And this is really important to talk about in the Christmas season because this is where more than any time of the year that our hope comes, to, what, what is our hope comes to the surface, what we're really after. And, and our expectation and reality collide, and it always isn't a pretty picture. What is meant to be the happiest time of the year ends up being the saddest time of the year. Why is that? Because our hopes are exposed and, well, we're, we're let down. So maybe, maybe our hope is in family. Like we, 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 we're looking for family to, to make us happy, and so this desire for family to come together in the holidays, actually the holidays brings them further apart and there's despair or maybe it's a job promotion or maybe it's a relationship or if you're Clark Griswold maybe it's a bonus that you're hoping for that is where you put your hope maybe it's the gifts that you'll receive or maybe it's the gifts that you'll get or you give excuse me maybe you're hoping well maybe if I get this person this then I'll have their affection and then that hits reality and hopes goes away. And I think it's tr this is important because we tend to put our hope in the wrong things. We tend to look for hope where it can't be found, which is why we are left disappointed, frustrated, and confused. And in the, the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah was a prophet, and he was, he was speaking to, the, to the God's people in Israel. And this was a very, very dark time in Israel's history. Um, they were in captivity in Babylon. There was great injustice. There was violence, poverty, 
and, and basically a complete breakdown of any, um, um, all the social fabric was just completely torn in two. Uh, there was not justice, and there was a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. It, it's that moment where, like, everything that's important to you um, is lost, and, and maybe you've gone through that. Maybe you, maybe you had someone that you loved, and it just was taken from you, and you just felt lost. Maybe, maybe um, it was financial, or maybe even just these last few months, you thought, where can hope come from? I, I feel like hope is being taken from me. There's nowhere to turn. Well, that's how the Israelites felt. And they had a complaint. They had a complaint to God. And that's what happens with you and I, that when we are frustrated, when we are in despair, we complain to God. And that is why God, through the prophet Isaiah, gives this response in uh, Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. It's very tempting for us when we're going through difficulty to, to deny God's presence, to deny his goodness, to deny his love, to d- deny his grace. But when we do that, when we begin to doubt, even just a bit in his nature and character, that doubt leads us to not run to him, but from him. And we actually run away from the only source of true hope that we could ever have. And so he comes to them and says, look, you're wrong. You're wrong. I'm not the problem here. I love you. I am seeking to wrap my arms around you. I'm not, my arm's not too short. My, My ears are not dull of hearing this, was, this is a misplaced charge that you have against me. So God is, in, in verse 1, is responding to this accusation. And then in verse 2, he has an accusation against us. It says, it's not me, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You see... Here's what, we, we like to think that we're the good guys, and, and this is what I mean by, very rarely, um, I'll say this, we think our biggest problems are outside of us and not inside of us. We like to think that our greatest problems are outside of us and not inside of us, that our deepest problems are, they're my situation, they're my relationships, uh, they're my location. Um, we like to blame something outside of us and not what's inside of us. Uh, and God says, no, what's out of sight of you isn't the problem. It's what's inside of you that's the problem. And I- I'm going to step on a, potentially step on a few nerves here, so I'll, I'll be careful. Um, you know, in, in St. Louis, we, we've seen this, our city get divided, and and one of the things that is true about us as humanity, regardless of the issue, is that we love to to protest. We love to protest with signs, we love to protest with Facebook, we love to protest with Twitter, We we just love to protest. And here's why we love to protest. It's not my fault, it's your fault. I've never seen a protester carrying a sign with an arrow down saying, 
I'm the problem. It's somebody else. I've never, I've looked, I've been on Facebook, I've been on Twitter. I've never seen someone post, I just want the world to know that I'm the problem. That's the way we are. We we think it's, and we, we need this because our hearts are looking for hope. Our hearts are looking for something to attach to that's going to make us, well, happy and full of joy. And so if, if something's going wrong with my life, it's so much easier for me, and it does bring to me some degree of momentary satisfaction to ascribe that blame on somebody else or something else. Nine times out of ten, if I lose my keys, somebody else did something with them. In 10 times out of 10, I did something with them. Honey, what did you do with my keys? Well, well nothing, bro. I don't think I did anything with them. Well, you had to have done something. Wait a minute. You had to have done something, dear. No, I, oh, wait, they're in my pocket. Oh, well, okay, well, never mind. Sorry about that. What am I doing in that, mo- in that moment? I'm, I, I just do what we all do which is, I'm not the problem. Something else is the problem. A rela- you know, it's the, the relationship I'm in is the problem. This is crazy. There is, no, you know what? there is no such thing as a bad marriage. There's no such thing as a bad marriage. People who are bad get married. What, mar- what did marriage do to you? Marriage didn't do anything. It's like you fell into a bad marriage. No, 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 no. There are two people in this marriage that do bad things. And maybe, well, it's okay, it's not the marriage, it's, it's the other person. Well, you chose them. <laughs> Even if you're not actively doing something wrong, you've got to admit that your selection process is flawed. <laughs> and that's usually, a bit, uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, but there's no such thing as a bad neighborhood. People in neighborhoods do bad things. Neighborhood's fine. Got to clean up the street. Streets, don't blame the streets. They didn't do anything. A lot of street crime. Streets don't commit crimes. People commit crimes. Bad, corrupt government. The government is corrupt. No, there's no corrupt government. There's corrupt people in the government. And this is really, really important for us to understand because no matter where you go, at the, at the end of every relationship is us. In every government is us. In every neighborhood, there's us. Which means that when you feel like you've lost hope, you can't run to another location because guess what? We're there. You're there. You can't run to another relationship because you're there. You can't run to another government because you're there. God's saying, you are the problem. And he says, and he goes on, the, the thing that lurks inside of us, the thing that's dark and dangerous, the thing that kidnaps my thoughts, distorts my behaviors, and interrupts my desires, is something that the prophet is going to say is iniquity, trespasses, and sins. 
and I think it's helpful to understand these three words. Uh, iniquity is immoral impurity. We like to think that we have good desires, that our motive, but our motives aren't always good. Our desires aren't always good. Our intentions, our purposes, they're not always pure. That we have iniquity, that we have, we have bad motives. And then he says that you have, there are trespasses. And a, a trespass means to go over the boundary. Um, you know, you, so we go over the boundary all the time. And it's not being ignorant of what the boundary is. So for example, if you are a husband and you yelled at your wife this week, you didn't yell at your wife because you were ignorant that it was wrong. In that moment, you didn't care that it was wrong. But there was something else that you wanted. More. When you cheat on your taxes, it's not that you're ignorant of cheating your taxes. But you, you, you willingly step over that boundary. Because there's something else that you want. The third wor- word here is sin. Sin is falling short of the mark. It, it was a hunting word, which means like it, if no matter how much you pull back the bow, that arrow is, is never going to make the target that you want. Which means that, that we're, not, we're not the people that we want to be. We fall short of this. We fall short of God's standards and we fall short of our own standards. We create boundaries for ourselves and we go over those boundaries. I'm going to eat 2,000 calories today and I go over 2,000 calories. This is the way I'm going to live and that's not the way you live. You both go over the boundary and you miss the mark and our motive. So, so the, 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 um, the writer here, the prophet here, is wanting us to understand that this is our issue. And because there's iniquity inside of me and because I transgress and I sin, I just can't blame other situations. I can't just blame other people because at the bottom of all this is us. That we are our greatest problems. And there's nowhere we can go. There's nowhere we can go to get away from our problems. Because we're the problem. Merry Christmas. (laughs) But, because here, here, verse 9. Verse 9, it actually gets, gets worse. Because there's a confession. And this is important. The doorway to hope is hopelessness, and I want to show you why that is. So if you're feeling hopeless, you're on the right track. This is what they say. So, so, so they make this charge against God, and God says, Nuh-uh, I'm, I'm not the problem here. You are the problem. God made a divine accusation against his people. And, and I hope that you hear that. I hope that you can feel uh, God accusing you of some things. And it's important if you really want true, pure hope. And so the people make a confession. They say, therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no, who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor like we're dead men. Now, that's graphic. So it's just like it's, it's high noon, but we're walking around like it's dark. We're groping the wall, trying to figure out our way because we don't know our way. And the reason why they're saying this is because it's one th- if you go down 
all the way to the depths of what God is saying to us, you realize that your situation is utterly hopeless. The reason why we like to project our problems outside of us and we never, I mean, it, okay, so I've been, being a, I've been a pastor for 10 years and, I've, and I've, um, I've heard hundreds of people tell me what their problem is. And a very high percentage, it starts with this. My problem is my spouse. My problem is uh, my job. What, how are you, oh, I'm not, do, why aren't you doing well because of my job? Why aren't you doing well? It's because of my spouse. Why aren't you doing well? Because of these relationships. Why, it, so it's, my problems are outside of me. No one comes to me. Very few come to me and say, you know what, I, Brian, here's my problem. I'm, there's some, I'm, I'm wrong. In my relationships, I'm wrong. In my job, I'm wrong. In my neighborhood, I'm wrong. That doesn't happen. The reason why it doesn't happen is because, again, our heart is, on, is like a heat-sinking missile looking to attach itself to hope. But here, and so we want to, we want, and, and we, we get little glimmers of hope if we can detach ourselves from the problem. Because if it is our situation, well, I can just get a new situation, and then I'll have hope. Well, if, if it is the government, then I just get a new government, and then I'll have hope. If, if it is my job, I just get a new job, and then it'll be hope. If, if it is something outside of me, then I have hope. But if I'm the problem, there's no situation I can go to. There's no relationship I can go to. There's no country I can go to to ever fix the problem, because wherever I go I'm still there and that is like totally disorientating and I can't tell up from down I am like someone who's groping against the wall who's trying to find their way and it is utterly hopeless if you make that confession it's why so many so few of us do but I'm telling you the doorway to true hope is hopelessness. First John 1. I had a dear sister in the, here in the city this morning share the scripture. If you say you have no sin, he says basically God has nothing to offer you. If you say that everyone else is the problem and not yourself, there is no hope for you. But if you confess your sin, if you've confessed your iniquity, if you confess that you, your transgressions, if you confess your sin, he is faithful to purify you from all unrighteousness. He will move your sin as far as the east is from the west. If you attach yourself to him. Because that's what God wants to do in your life. Check out verse um, 15. The second part of verse 15. The Lord saw it. What did he see? He saw your pain. He saw the injustice. He saw what was wrong in the world. He saw what was wrong with you, and he saw what was wrong with your brother. He saw it, and it displeased him. He looks at your pain, and he doesn't cackle like, I told you so. If you only listened to me, everything would be okay. He doesn't do that. He sees your pain, and it displeases him because there is no justice. God wants the wrong, the wrongs in this world to be made right. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was there no one to intercede. 
Then it said his own arm brought him salvation. That word, when you read that in, in the Bible, his arm, the right arm, the arm of salvation, referring to the Messiah, that is Jesus, our Savior. He will uphold righteousness. He put on a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He puts garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Here's the deal. What it's saying is that, that, when, that through Jesus, justice will happen. Now here's, here's the, the dark side of justice. We love justice. We love, we love justice in our world when it happens to other people. That's why we have horns on our car. And you cut me off. Someone honks, hey, what did I do? I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to do that. I was. We love justice when it happens to other people. But here's, here's the other scary thing. If we confess that we are full of iniquity, trespasses, and sins, the very thing that causes all the pain and suffering in the world, if we are the problem, when Jesus comes to exact justice on the world, he's going to give us justice. Which is a frightening thought. But we need to think about that for a second if we're going to find hope. Now here's the good news. The good news is, is John 3.16, which is the story of Christmas. Which is, for God so loved the world that he sent his son to die in our place. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save the first time. So that all who would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Which means that Jesus, he, in his infinite wisdom from heaven, when the Father said, will anyone go? Jesus like, I will go. I will enter humanity. I will not only enter humanity, but I will become a victim of injustice. I will die an innocent man on the cross for the sin, for the iniquity, for the trespasses of the whole world. And it says in many places in the Old Testament and New that God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus. All of it. He drank the cup of wrath till it's, till it's full. So that when you and I say, that's my God, that's my Savior, that's my hope. There's, there's no justice, there's no wrath for me. But he came down to save us from the greatest problem. He came to save us from our sin. He came to save us from our iniquity. He came to save us from our trespasses. But he just didn't wipe, wipe the slate clean. But it says that he gives us his righteousness, that we are clothed with his righteousness. That he, Ephesians 2 says that he raised us up with him. That he came, he comes, and he saves us from our sin. He pays the price for our sin for our nature of sin, for our position of sin, as well as our acts of sin, which we are all guilty of. And if we confess that we are the problem, we then attach ourselves to the only true hope in this world, which is Jesus. 
that he is the light, that he is the one who's good, that, that if we connect to him, we will have life. And if we don't connect to him, well, well, we'll receive the justice that we deserve. And here's what he says. He says, he says to his disciples that he's, he left and he's going to prepare a place for us. That by grace, we will be in um, this future home where there will be no tears, there will be no crying, there will be no violence, there will be no pain, there will be no injustice. And if, he, and if, he, if that grace in the future is true, then that means that he wants to give us present grace to live in our messiness where life is painful, yet we still have this hope. And that's where the Israelites were. You see, they, God had saved them. They left, led them out of Egypt. They were out of bondage. He gave them the law. He gave them the temple. So they were right, you know, God's presence is right in the middle of them. So they, 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 had, they were living this kind of already but not yet time period. They, they had already received from God, but yet the Messiah had not yet come. So they lived in the messiness of this already but not fully yet. The Messiah has come, and we're in the same place. That Jesus has come, he's died on the cross, it's finished, it's been dealt with. Sin has had its, you know, fatal blow. Not its final blow, but its fatal blow. And we have his word, and we have his Holy Spirit. But we're still living in the messiness of the the already but not fully yet. But I just want to encourage us this morning to place your hope into Jesus, that he hasn't left you, that his arm is not too short, that his ear is not dull of hearing, but he's leaving the doors wide open for people to come and know him. That's what it says in Peter. It's like he's not slow, as some as you may think, but he's leaving the door open of grace because when he comes back again the second time, there will be justice. There will be no opportunity to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and receive his salvation. But we live in this time period of saying, yes, we can attach ourselves. All other hope, will, all other Hopes will fail you. How do you know what your hope is? Well, fill in this blank. If I only had blank, then I would be happy. That's where you're putting your hope this morning. Just want to encourage you to detach yourself from false hope and let your heart attach to the only one that is the true source of hope. That is Jesus.